And I am reminded of that as we watch the children and their families and we watch these children. What a heritage, an opportunity we have to pass along a legacy of faith. And what a challenge it is, isn't it? Parents, grandparents, church members, uh, however you impact these children, remember you are passing along to them a legacy of faith. So the question is, what is your legacy? Uh, if, they, if they learned faith from you, if they learned what it means to follow Christ, if they learn what it means to trust God even when we do not know what lies ahead, trusting God for what we do not see, if they're learning that from you, what are they learning? What kind of legacy of faith are you leaving to the next generation? It's a good question. And it's the question before us as we are in this series in Hebrews chapter 11 that we started week before last. Hebrews chapter 11, you can find that if you like, just, just pause there for a moment if you do. But Hebrews chapter 11 teaches us that faith, the faith that God looks for, as the writer in the Hebrews puts it, the Bible puts it, faith that pleases God or faith that God approves, meaning it testifies to God, uh, that is faith that trust God for what we do not see. Now, I, I want to go ahead and give you a heads up as we go through this chapter. What we're ultimately going to see the Bible talking about is what we ultimately do not see, and that's the promised land itself, heaven itself, our home going. And we live for Christ now because we anticipate that home going, what we do not see. And all of our, our ancestors in the faith who left us a legacy of faith, that's how they lived. And they believed God for what they could not see. They believed God and took him at his word. That's what this chapter is about. Uh, two weeks ago, we investigated the meaning of that faith, what, what that faith actually is. And today, we're going to see a key component of that faith through one of, the, one of the most famous people in all of the Bible who did one simple thing. He took action on what he believed. He took action on what he believed. See, it's one thing to have the right information, it's another thing to act on what you know. It's one thing to say, I believe God and I trust Him for what I do not see. It's another thing to take action based on what God says, even though you don't see it just yet. December 7th, 1941, we all recognize that Sunday morning, right? December 7th, 1941, 7 a.m., uh, two army officers, George Elliott and Joseph Lockard, were on the radar base in Oahu, on the northern side of Oahu in Hawaii. And they were, they were delighted as, as radar officers. They were able to, uh, that day, start using cutting-edge radar equipment. It had barely been installed when they came on their shift. And that morning, as George Elliott was watching the radar, he saw... Uh, a large blip heading toward Honolulu. Uh, he got Lockard to come over, take a look at it as well, and they both agreed it was something unusual. So Elliot called his commanding officer, he called the base there uh, in Honolulu and was told, and you'll like this, there's no one here to take your call, you'll have to call back. But in a few minutes, uh, an officer there called him back, a lieutenant, and he told him what he saw, and the lieutenant said, no worries, uh, that's a group of a dozen B-17s coming from San Francisco to Honolulu. Don't need to worry about it. 
As soon as they hung up the phone, Lockard was ready to leave. His shift was over. He wanted to go get breakfast. But Elliot said, let's stay a few more minutes. I want to practice with this radar, this new equipment. Let's watch this blip move toward Honolulu and coming right at them toward Oahu. And after just a few minutes, around 7.39 a.m., that blip disappeared into the mountains of Oahu. They both left. In fact, they were called back. Uh, to breakfast and their shift was over and it was just a little while later that George Elliott learned what he was actually seeing was 183 Japanese aircraft headed for Pearl Harbor. It's one thing to have the information, it's another thing to know what to do with the information. When God calls us to act in faith, he gives us his word the right information, he gives us his knowledge, then he calls us to act on that information. And he tells us what to do. Uh, Faith, like in in, in Hebrews 11, this this great roll call of faith, that kind of faith that God looks for, God approves, and that testifies to the work of God, God, is faith that trusts God for what we do not see, but believe God enough to take action when God says to take action. So find with me again Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read those opening verses one more time, uh, verses 1 and 2, as it does set the tone, sets the stage for the rest of the chapter. The Bible says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, for by this our ancestors were approved. That's how the Bible opens this chapter, and the writer of the Hebrews takes that as the anchor, and then he's going to start cataloging the ancestors of faith. And two weeks ago, we saw the first two of these ancestors, a man named Abel, known for his righteousness and worship, because uh, he worshiped by faith, and God received his worship, and a man named Enoch, who we're told that by faith, Enoch walked with God. These great ancestors of the faith leave us our legacy, it stretches back through history. And those two set the stage for the third one, this great ancestor of the faith, one whose legacy of faith is dramatic, is so dramatic, in fact, that people who have never read the Bible have heard of this ancestor of our faith, the man named Noah. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 gives us a summary of Noah's action of faith, no doubt so well known to the readers of the original letter to the Hebrews that he didn't feel like he needed to unpack the whole story. Everyone would have known it. It takes up four chapters in the book of Genesis. But this is what the writer to the Hebrews says. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The writer's reminded of Noah, no doubt. Not only does he follow Enoch and Abel in this catalog of faith and in the history of our faith, but you notice also Abel is commended for his righteousness. Enoch is commended for his walk with God. Noah is commended for both. We are told he is righteous, and we are told that Noah walked with God. So why is Noah included here? Noah is included here because his legacy of faith is embedded in history because he took action on what he believed. He acted on his faith in a way that is astounding and staggering when you look at it more deeply. And that's what we're going to do for a few minutes this morning. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, introduces Noah that way. Uh, The Bible says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless, 
among his contemporaries, and Noah walked with God. Noah was accustomed to trusting God, and he was accustomed to trusting God for what he could not see, but this would be the major test. Uh, This would be the moment that would change history. This would be a moment that would change Noah's life and embed him in the legacy of heroes. Isn't it interesting that even though Noah walked with God and Noah was a righteous man, this is the event that's recorded. Noah and the ark. Because Noah believed God for what he could not see. Let's go back to this one verse for a moment. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7, let's break it open just a bit. I want you to learn with me three things, review three things again, that are solid elements of faith that takes action. Faith that takes action. Faith that trusts God for what we do not see and takes action to show that we trust God. This is what it looks like. First of all, see with me the motivation of faith that takes action, the motivation of faith. The writer says, by faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, he built the ark. Now pay attention to that. After he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear. In summary, uh, that means that he did not act because of who he was. He acted because who God was. The word translated warned could be translated called to action. God just didn't just show up in Noah's life and say, I've got to give you this warning. I'm going to flood the world. Uh, the, the sin is too great. He called him to act on that warning. God showing up, God showing up and speaking to Noah required of Noah an action and an action of faith. It was a call on his life. Remember, it's one thing to know what's going to happen. It's another thing to know what to do and to take action on that. And when God presents you with an opportunity to trust Him for what you do not see, that's a call to trust God. That's the moment when you demonstrate what you really believe about the character of God. And on Noah's side, here's what it demonstrated. He acted out of, as we read it, godly fear. The term means reverence. That is to say, it was an act of worship on his part. He knew the character of God so well, he was motivated to do what he could not otherwise, would not otherwise have ever imagined doing. But God called him to do it, and he acted because of who God was, not because who he is. You know, believe in God for what you cannot see. It's not about you. It's about what you believe about God. It's about his character. If you take action on the word of God, if you're obedient to what God says, it's because you believe him. It's not about your skill level, your knowledge level. It's not about your status in life or what you think you can or cannot do. And it's really not about your fears or apprehensions. It's about this. Do you trust your God? And he is calling you to believe him and to show it by taking action. There's a popular Christian worship song. I mentioned it to those of you that were there Wednesday night. uh, That opens with the line, there's honey in the rock. Have you heard this? And it goes on to talk about water from the stone and manna on the ground that God provides for us. But, uh, but you may have been a Christian a long time. You might even be puzzled by that opening line. There's, there's honey in the rock. Uh, where does that come in? Did you know in the Bible it's a promise of God? There, there's not an episode in the Bible where God brings honey from the rock. But Noah, excuse me, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32 praises God for taking care of his people by bringing honey from the rock. And in Psalm 81... 
God is reminding his people who trust him that he will take care of them every step of the way. What they cannot see, God is already there. He's already providing for them. And Psalm 81 closes with this line, I will satisfy you with honey from the rocks. Trust God because of who he is. He's promised to take care of you. He's promised to lead you. He's promised to do what you cannot ask or even imagine. God can do it. Just trust him. Faith that takes action is motivated not by who we are, but by who God is. And it's an act of worship, reverence for who God is. Secondly, I want you to see the obedience of faith. This is really the bottom line. Taking action is being obedient. You can know a lot about the Bible. You can attend church often. But when God calls you to obedient faith, the question is, will you take action? Four chapters of the book of Genesis are summarized by the writer to the Hebrews with this. He built an ark to deliver his family. One of the most famous, best-known episodes in all of biblical history. Doesn't need to be cataloged or described all over again. Noah took action. He was obedient to what God said. He was obedient to God's word and God's promise that God was about to do something and Noah was the man of faith God had called out. Noah's obedience had already been lived. He was righteous. He walked with God. But at this moment in his life, there's no empirical evidence at all of what God says God is going to do. The Bible isn't completely clear of whether it's rained or not up to this moment, but there's good evidence that rain has never come to the ground. Noah doesn't ask, what is rain, when God said it's going to rain, but even so, there's no evidence that it's rained yet in the book of Genesis, and there's certainly no evidence there's ever been a flood. And Noah isn't by the ocean. He's not sitting by a river. He's inland, way inland. And it's likely Noah has never been on a boat, let alone built a boat what he built by the way was not designed for forward motion and power it was not designed to be under sail it was basically just a great big box like a floating barge that was covered to house everything God wanted to put in there that's why God gave him the exact specifications for it Noah's job was to obey and to trust God for what he did not see I want to challenge you to do something tonight or early this week. Don't let it get away from you too far before you do it. I want you to go back and read Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, the story of Noah and the ark, and you're going to discover something. And if I'm wrong about this, I'm not, but if I'm wrong about this, let me know. It's very simple. Noah never says a thing. Never. Noah says nothing in response to God. God does all the talking in the whole story until the flood is over, the boat is docked, and in chapter 9, Noah finally says something. And he says that to his family. The story of Noah is all about obedience. Because you're not trusting God for what you do not see if you're not obedient to God's word. Uh, There's no Q&A session in the story of Noah. He doesn't pull out a piece of paper and write pros and cons on building an ark and not building an ark. He doesn't call a committee meeting. He doesn't call a Bible study. He doesn't do anything like that. He never questions God. He simply obeys and does what God wants because that's faith. That's obedience. That's taking God at his word and trusting God for what you cannot see. 
All faith that takes action is obedient faith. It's acting on God's, what God says, God's character, who he is, and what God says, his word. Then the third thing I want you to see is the impact of faith that takes action. The impact of faith that takes action. And it's, and it's far beyond you. It's far beyond you, far beyond me. When you trust God enough to take action on what he says, the impact will go deeper and farther than you can imagine. We see Noah's impact broken into two parts. First of all, he condemned his own generation. Did you read that? He condemned his own generation. Now, the Bible tells us elsewhere that Noah preached to those in his generation. He told them what was coming. He told them that, that they, they needed to repent and they needed to get on the ark. Uh, a catalog of his preaching is not there in the book of Genesis, but the Bible tells us that he did preach. But in this passage and in this place, uh, we're to understand the picture much bigger. When it says that he condemned those by his faith, it means that by taking action on faith in God, he exposed the inaction of those who lack faith. When you live for Christ and you take action on your faith, it exposes the lack of faith of other people. Especially if your faith impacts their lack of faith. If you're calling them out to believe the Bible, if you're studying the Bible with them, if you're calling them to actions of trusting God and believing God for what you cannot see, that God has the resources you need, that God knows where you're supposed to go, where you're supposed to minister, who you're supposed to talk to, that God will help you through this trying time, and you have doubters in your life, your faith in Him and, and taking action in that faith exposes their lack of faith. And the Bible teaches because Noah was a righteous man it exposed the unrighteousness of an unrighteous generation. Therefore, they were condemned. The word translates a phrase that means he proclaimed judgment by his faith. See, there's no middle ground in the gospel. There's no middle ground in faith. You trust Christ as your Savior or you don't. You follow Christ as your Savior or you don't. You believe the Word of God or you don't. And when you trust Christ, you follow Christ, you believe the Word of God, it exposes that unrighteousness, that lack of faith in the people who refuse to follow Christ. The second thing the writer tells us as an impact of Noah's faith is that he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So on the one hand, his faith in, what he, in God for what he could not see proclaimed the judgment on the generation that was unrighteous. Looking ahead, looking forward, his faith demonstrated he had joined the ranks of the righteous. See, building the ark did not save him. That's not what made him a believer. He was already a believer. He walked with God. He was a righteous man. Building the ark was evidence again of his righteousness. Evidence again that he would trust God and that salvation was not by works, it was by faith. Everyone in this roll call of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is there to remind us again that a person is saved and made righteous by faith, not by works. So Noah illustrated his righteousness and that he was an heir to God's kingdom and righteousness when he built the ark by faith. And that righteousness, the writer says, comes to us by faith because we trust God. It's a simple point here, but, but here it is. 
if your faith never takes action, you need to wonder about your faith. And it could go so far as to say your saving faith. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Because every believer who trusts Christ as their Savior, they change. And once you trust Christ as your Savior, you see God in action in your life. You want to walk with God. You want to be with Him. You want to grow in your faith and be a follower of Christ. And God challenges that faith and He stretches that faith and He calls you out to greater faith, believing Him for what you cannot see. If that hasn't happened in your life, the question is, where are you in your relationship with God? When was the last time you trusted Him for what you could not see? Or have you recently refused to follow Him into what you could not see? Because you didn't trust Him. The way we live our life of faith, the way we practice it, the way we obey, demonstrates our faith in Christ. It doesn't give us saving faith, it demonstrates that faith. Uh, in James chapter 2 in the New Testament, James says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, he says, show me your, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, James is saying that that claim you have, that claim you make that, well, I don't have to demonstrate my faith. I don't have to show my, my faith by my works. I'll just show up at church. I'll just do my thing the rest of the week as long as I'm a good Christian and a good person. Well, why do I need to demonstrate that? And James' argument is, how do you know you're saved if you don't demonstrate it? How do you know you have a relationship with Christ if you don't follow Christ by faith into the great work of God that he's called you to do. Noah's story in the book of Genesis, every time God tells Noah to do something, the end of that portion is summarized by saying, and Noah did everything God told him to do. Noah did everything God told him to do. Believers, let me talk to you just a minute. You're a follower of Christ. You're a believer in Jesus. You know you're trusting Christ as your Savior. You might even say, I walk with God. I live my life for Christ. I follow Him. What's going to be your legacy of faith? Uh, what are going to pe people look back on in your legacy of faith? And Is there that moment, and maybe it's right now, which God is calling you to believe Him for what you cannot see? Will you trust Him? Are you ready to launch? Ready to do what other people might even make fun of? Ready to say yes to God when all others say no? Have you done that? Because if you're faithful to him, to walk with him, he's going to stretch that faith. He's going to call you up and call you out to greater things. He wants you to see what he can do. Not, no, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And when we trust him in faith, it's because of who he is and what we believe that he can do. When was the last time you turned to him and said, I believe you can do far more than anything I could think or imagine. Let me be part of it. Let me be part of it. I'll do anything, God, anything you want me to do. And for those of you in-house and at home that have never trusted Christ as your Savior, when I say that, I say that with confidence that you know who you are. Maybe you're a churchgoer, maybe you're a good person, maybe you're checking the list and checking the box, 
But when asked if your lifestyle, your habits demonstrate whether you've truly trusted Christ, you have to be honest and say no. There's been no real change in my life. I'm religious, but there's been no real change in my life. The story of Noah is also embedded in Scripture because it foreshadows the coming of Christ. It's designed for that purpose. In fact, many people believe the name Noah literally means grace man because it's a demonstration of God's grace and it's quite likely it took not days, months, but years, maybe even decades for Noah to build the ark. And as he did, he mingled among the unrighteous in his life and in his environment. Everybody knew what he was doing and everybody knew why. And he consistently told them, God is going to save you if you will trust him. Repent of your sin and get on the ark. Come to the ark. Come to the ark. Come to the ark. You can almost hear him say it. The Bible says he was 600 years old, so he might have been bent over just a bit. But he was calling, come to the ark and be saved. It foreshadows Jesus Christ as God calls you to come to Christ. There is no other way. It's the grace of God in Jesus Christ that saves you. Come to Christ. Repent of your sins. Trust him. And you say, well, I'm a good person. Ah, but he sees what you do not see or what you won't admit. You're a sinner in need of a Savior. And your first act of faith is to agree with God. I need Christ. I've got to come to Christ because I can't save myself. Believers here and at home, I'm going to pray for us to bolster our faith a bit. Trust God for something new. Trust God and obey him in what he, what he wants to do. <clears throat> but if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. A very simple prayer, and I invite you to pray it with me. To put all your faith and trust in Christ. To repent of your sin. To be honest, I know that I'm a sinner, but Jesus died for me. And put all your faith and trust in him. It's time. It's time to trust him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pause in this room and at home. And God, for those of us who know, yes, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I desire to follow Christ. I might, I might even categorize my life and characterize it as walking with you day by day. But God, I pray today you'd stretch my faith. Please forgive me when I've said no. When I've said no, God, that I won't step out in faith. I won't trust you for what I cannot see. And Father, I pray starting from this point forward that I will trust you for what I cannot see. Maybe there's something going on in our lives right now, God, and you're speaking to us right now. You're showing us, Father, what it is we need to trust you for. God, I pray we'd be ready for that. We would step out and we would say yes and we would trust you for what we do not see. God, help us to take action practical action and obedience to demonstrate our faith in you and our faith in Christ. So Father, also I pray for those that have never trusted Christ as our Savior. That God, today is the day. Just like Noah called those home, God, you're calling us. You're calling us to Christ. And I pray for those in this room and those at home, Father, that today they would put all their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the one who came to die on the cross for them who's alive today and can save them. Father, I pray this prayer with them. And God, I pray for them, they would pray it in faith and trust Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive today. So Jesus, I ask in faith that you would come into my heart, into my life, and forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins. 
And from this point forward, I will follow Christ. God, for all of us, I pray we would take practical steps following through with those commitments, God, and whatever you're calling us to do. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.